You are listening to Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it cannot be dissected by my co-host, John Syracuse. I'm Dan Benjamin. This is episode number 32. It's been sponsored by Audible.com, as well as our friends over at FieldNotesBrand.com, whom we will tell you about as the program continues. We also want to say that bandwidth for this episode of Hypercritical has been brought to you by MidasGreenTech.com, virtual private servers submerged in oil. Get some free bandwidth over there, MidasGreenTech.com. John Syracuse. That's me. We're live and direct from an undisclosed location. Um, and my, the undisclosed location is my brother-in-law's house. Wow. It's disclosed now. <laughs> it, it is indeed. It is indeed. With a not-so-good internet connection. Right. It's, you seem okay. We'll see how it works. 1.4 megabits up, max. It's enough to carry your dulcet tones to Austin, Texas, where we record these shows every week. It's good to be back with you, John. And I, I just, I would like to thank you. I'd like to thank you on the air. I haven't shown this to Faith yet, but I would like to thank you uh, on the air for the lovely gift that you sent my my new baby daughter. Uh, may I share what it is? Is it a person? Sure, go for it. Uh, this is very cool. And by the way, I, I just want to add, shame on all of the other co-hosts. Nobody else has, has sent any any kind of uh, gift. You don't know that. They might not have gotten there yet. Really? You're right. It might not have gotten there. Two weeks later, it still hasn't gotten here. Well, you know, it takes time to find something, <laughs> pick something out, you know. Yeah, of all the people that I thought wouldn't send something, I was surprised from you. Maybe your wife uh, is rubbing off on you. Lovely wife, Mrs. That's Syracuse. Why, that's why you get married, so you can have someone to tell you what the social norms are for so gift this giving. Is, this, is what, uh, this is what Mrs. Syracuse sent. Uh, the the uh, care package we received in, included a onesie that is uh, a first-level human onesie. It's a D&D reference, level one human, charisma of 18, strength I think was two or something like that, so that's accurate. Very cute. I appreciate the LARPing reference there. And uh, also an adorable. Now, this thing looked handmade. I'm not, I'm not sure if it was. I'm going, don't tell me if it wasn't. Far, in my mind, Mrs. Syracuse knitted this thing herself. She did. I picked out the onesie, though. Oh, well, yeah, of course you picked out the onesie. I loved yes. it. Loved it, by the way. My wife uh, in, enjoyed it in the way that she appreciated something that she knows only I would appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the, this is a beautiful, it's a little, it's a little, Faith, you're going to love this when you see it. It's a little cap. It's a little pumpkin, and the, and it's hand knitted. It looks like you put it on a little kid's head. It's a little, it's just a little pumpkin. It's a little pumpkin. It's the cutest little thing. A nice little card. And here's the here's the thing. This is how you know John is a dad, because not only does he send uh, something for for Marla, he sends something for the boy too. And uh, more than one thing, he sent and uh, these two cars. Uh, you know, from the movie Pixar movie car. Of course, it Pixar. From the movie Cars, two that he didn't have. Oh, he flipped out. He loved it. Joel could be, and Joel got a card. He's carrying around this card. It's a dinosaur card. He's carrying that around. Very thoughtful, John. Thank you. Thank you to Mrs. Syracuse. Well, you're very welcome. And yes, the hat is handmade. Very nice. It looked hand. It really looked handmade. It looked very special. And the little top part of the little pumpkin is just. It looks like a little. You know, the little. What do they call that on the top of that stem? It's mm-hmm. per- beautiful. Really nice. Really thoughtful. Yeah, you got to get something for the other kid. I mean, you learn that when you have uh, two kids of your own because right. this is the beginning of the end of his life at the center of your universe. <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> so how are you? You're on vacation. Man, you take a lot of vacations. It's the same amount every year. You know, I go to Long Island for a little while with my family. Then we usually visit my wife's family around Labor Day, uh, around that week. Uh, I had an extra one this year because I went to WWDC. So right. that was my extra vacation this year. But those were all vacation days carried over from last year. Are you going to be at South by this year? No. What if I, I mean, flew? What is, if I flew you out here? Would you well, come this out? Is it. This is the end of my vacation days. I mean, I have a, a one or two left for the Christmas vacation, but that's it. What if I fly out here? What if I, all expenses paid? I bring you out to South by. You coming? Yeah, that it doesn't make me not have to go to work. What if I pay you the lost time and salary? You have to if you can clear it with my boss to say, yeah, he's not going to be there, and we're going to pay his salary. Now, what, what's going on in South by? Are you doing anything there? I, if if you get here, I am. No, I don't. I don't have the, the extra time off, and I heard that a lot of people aren't going to that this year anyway. Yeah, I know. Like I know. they're disillusioned with the. Uh, when they hear the about what we're doing, they'll, the they'll be changing their mind. I don't know. I was hearing everybody wasn't going because they're now it's too big for them. I haven't heard any. You know, they say that every year and every year the people go. Every know, single been, year. So, I I can't tell you whether it's getting worse or. What if I want to have my What if I want to have my own five by five all stars conference and I bring every all the the hosts out? Would you go to that? I'd still need to clear with your boss. Yeah, I mean, and I can't manufacture vacation days out of thin air. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about it later. All right. So how, how, how are things? They're fine. A lot has been going on. Yeah, yeah. We missed you in your, in your absence. How was your daddy days? You know, it was, it was great, great, great being here for the birth. Great uh, being able to spend time with the boy when the baby came home and all that stuff. Great time off. I was telling Marco yesterday, it's not like it's a vacation when you're home, like, you know, with your three and a half year old and your wife who just gave birth and a new baby. It's not, it's not a vacation, but it was great. I feel like I'm on vacation now <laughs> comparatively to the amount of work that I was doing. But right. I, have to, I have to act like it's a lot of, like I'm really exhausted at the end of the day. I mean, I am, but I have to, because otherwise then I wind up having to do the dishes too. You're taking advantage of the fact that your wife doesn't listen to the show to... Uh, yeah, she doesn't ever open, listen to it. Openly complain no, she'll never about listen the duties of fatherhood. Yeah. She'll never listen. Because she knows we talk about D&D and stuff. Yeah. So right away she tunes out. She listens to the Paleo show. I don't know if she listens to any others. This is the Paleo show of all the shows to listen to. Oh, she's, she's actually responsible for getting that one on the network because she introduced me to, to Angela who does it and... We I started, I became a fan of the show and got it. Yeah, that's her thing. Paleo baby. It's our baby now. Paleo baby. All right, enough of this. What's going on in the world? Are we for some follow-up? Yes. Some follow-up, is, is this follow-up to stuff that, that uh, you did with Ryan? That's right. Okay, let's hear it. You're so out of the loop. Did you, did you even listen to those episodes? I have you listened to, I'm, I'm catching up slowly and I'm done with the first week. I'm catching up with the second week. All right, well, then maybe you don't know what we're following up about, but it's not, I don't have a lot. So the first follow-up item is uh, on last week's show, I was talking about uh, Apple's new Thunderbolt display. And right. I was going over this cringely article where he talks about the possibility of uh, video cards being built into the display and all sorts of other strange pipe dreams. Uh, but throughout the episode, apparently, I kept calling it the 30-inch display, as, okay. which is wish- wishful thinking. It is not a 30-inch display, as people pointed out to me. It's a 27-inch. It replaces the old 30-inch, which is kind of a shame because they think the old 30-inch had a higher res than the new one. Mm. Uh, but they made the 27-inches their new biggest display. 
and it's got the Thunderbolt discs and so on and so forth. So yes, it is a 27-inch display. I was not referring to a new 30-inch display that nobody knows about it, but me, I was just <laughs> mis <laughs> misspoke. All right. All right. Good. And you know, it's kind of interesting that the I was looking up the URL for that thing. It's like apple.com slash displays, but it's plural, but there's only one display now. Like they, there's no more 24-inch, there's no smaller sizes. There's just the one, the 27-inch Apple Thunderbolt display is the only display that Apple sells right now. And if you don't like it that big, you don't want Thunderbolt, tough luck. Uh, I guess maybe someday they'll add more, but yeah, the URL still is plural. Uh, and also, I was looking at that thing that I, we didn't talk about this because I think it happened after you were gone. But I actually have one of those displays on order, and it's not shipping until like September 20th. Oh, so you're, you're in for the new display. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was surprised that there was a shipping delay. Did you, have you heard people complaining about it? I ordered it. I figured, oh, yeah, you know, it'll come in a couple of days. And then I looked at the expected ship date, and it was September 20th. Hmm. So I guess I guess nobody has them. I've never heard of anybody having one now that I thought about it. So maybe they're just back-ordered or whatever. But anyway, looking at the picture, I was worried about... Uh, do you remember the, when the 24-inch came out? It was the first one with the little rat tail thing with the power connector for your laptop. Yes. And the... And the did it have a Thunderbolt? I don't know. It had some other connector, but... On the on the sides of the laptop, some models have the power thing and USB or whatever on the same side, and some of them have op- have it on the opposite side. So on the Airs, for instance, the Thunderbolt display is on one side of the laptop, but the power connector is on the other. So the rat tail has to kind of spread into a Y shape, and I believe the rat tail on the 24-inch was just barely long enough if you stretched out the cable to plug in the power on one side and the USB thing all the way on the other. Now, if you look on their website, they have pictures of it connected to an air, and, and you kind of can't see if the cables are stretched or not. They don't look like they're stretched. Uh, but I'm a little bit concerned that when I get the thing, I'm not sure it will how, how well the cable will reach from one side of an air to another. I ordered an air for my wife, by the way. That's that's what this thing is going to be connected to. Oh, wow. So she's replacing her uh, her MacBook Pro with what I hope will be the best of both worlds. It's you know 13-inch air all maxed out. For portability, but then when she hooks it up to the big display, the big display will have Ethernet connected to it and, and an external hard drive and all this other good stuff, you know, right. FireWire hard drive. So when she's at the desktop, it should behave like a pretty good iMac. And then when she's portable, it should behave like a really light laptop. So we'll see how this goes. Now, pardon me for not, not you know, if, if I'm going to repeat something that you did discuss with Ryan that I either missed or I haven't heard in the, the episode yet, but talk, talk to me about the Ethernet port on the back of this thing. So I'm I'm kind of interested in how this is going to work too. The from the Apple's website, it's you connect the Thunderbolt connector from the display to your Mac, right. and then it's as if your Mac has those ports on it. Now, obviously, right. it doesn't have an Ethernet port, doesn't have a FireWire port, but Thunderbolt is basically PCI Express over a wire. So this is as if those devices were connected to the PCI Express bus inside your computer. The thing I wonder about is like, what's the connect disconnect procedure if i just like yank that cable out does that's exactly suddenly, what i was thinking yeah does the mac suddenly think it doesn't have an ethernet port like does the port come, appear the interface appear and go away and everything is cool with that or or for example if i have i'm going to have a firewire hard drive connected to the monitor right so when i connect the mac with a thunderbolt port that firewire hard drive will mount i'm assuming i have to unmount that that hard drive on the macbook air before i yank out that thunderbolt cable so this will all be an interesting experiment because I really don't know how this will behave uh, with the operating system and all the other things, but I'm hoping it will it will really be the best of both worlds. Because she was thinking of getting an iMac, but I wanted to have at least one portable in the house, and I like the Air. You know, it's great for uh, yeah portability more than that 15-inch thing we've been lugging around. What else you got? Uh, 
little bit of follow-up on Mac Ruby. The Mac Ruby people keep emailing me. Uh, I thought last time we talked about Mac Ruby, I forget when it was. We were talking about Lion. I think it was in the Arc episode. Uh, I was mentioning Mac Ruby as the one of the contenders for Apple's new memory managed language. Uh, but I went through my whole thing about how I don't like bridges and so on. And anytime I mention that, the MacRuby people email me and tell me that MacRuby isn't a bridge. It, despite the fact that I thought I accurately represented what MacRuby does, the mm -hmm. fact that Ruby objects are Objective-C objects, that all the strings are NS strings, that the Ruby associative arrays or hashes or whatever they're called are you know NS mutable dictionaries under the covers, like that it's not the same as uh, Ruby Cocoa or whatever the thing that was really like taking the Ruby runtime and also having the Objective-C runtime and then bridging between them. Uh, what it comes down to, I think, is semantics of what each party considers a bridge. I was actually trying to look up like the technical computer science definition of a bridge, but apparently it's a vague enough term that it's not, you know, uh, there's no hard and fast definition for a bridge. I'm sure everybody thinks their definition is the hard and fast definition of a bridge, but I found so many different definitions online. That what's, the, really what's the sort of predominant one? Well, <laughs> One uh, reasonably good definition is that uh, you are spanning from one runtime to another. So you, Ruby is like, you know, you've got your Ruby executable. Like say it's, I don't know what the plain old one is called, but the, not the Rubinius, not Maglev, not Ruby on JVM, but like the default. Do you know what that one is called? You're Ruby guy. Like the C program written by Matt's that runs Ruby. The, I think they just call it the interpreter, the compiler, whatever. I mean, we don't we right. don't talk the, in the, the Ruby world. We don't talk about such things. You do. There's a name for we it. We just type code is. and it just works and it looks great. Uh huh. But anyway, so there's that. There's a big C program Drink called coffee. Ruby that runs Ruby code, and that could be considered one runtime because it, it executes your Ruby code inside there. It's got little structures that it moves around and blah blah blah. And then you've got Objective C, which has its own runtime that does all the message dispatching and the tracking of objects and classes and all that stuff. Uh, and if you are running both of those runtimes at the same time, you're certainly running a bridge because you have to span these two worlds. You're running the Ruby interpreter and then you're running this Objective-C thing and you're somehow making them communicate. So that's clearly a bridge. Okay. Now, I consider Mac Ruby still to be a bridge or at least bridgy because you're writing in one language and talking to an API that was designed for a different language. So even though you're writing Ruby code, it's eventually calling Objective-C functions that, hadn't, that when they were written had no idea they were going to be called by something else. And it's not like, you know, they're just being called distantly or remotely. It's, it's a very close mapping where you, I can make, you know, I can look up in the Cocoa documentation, here's this API, here are the parameter names, here's what they expect, so on and so forth. And then I can make a Mac Ruby call that looks vaguely like that, you know, and there's other kind of... I don't know if I want to say bridging there. Like, well, like I said, where you, when you have a Ruby string, it's really an Objective-C string. When you have a Ruby object, it's really an Objective-C object. What they've done in, in Mac Ruby is try to take the Ruby runtime out of the equation. It's just, no, it's just the Objective-C runtime. You just get to write to it with a different language. I still consider that a bridge just because I imagine if Apple did try to say this is the new way we're writing Mac programs, then uh -uh, someone in the chat room came up with a name for the thing I was just talking about. It's MRI, Matt's Ruby implementation. implementation yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I consider it a bridge because if you were to say this is the way that you're going to make Cocoa applications from now on, all the Objective-C guys would be like, well, Objective-C is still the quote-unquote native way to write applications. And yeah, you could use this Ruby thing, but if I want to do X, Y, and Z, I still need to have my little pointers and do my stuff. And what if I want to connect to C code and have it mixed in? 
and what if I want to do stuff in CG or CF and stuff like other APIs that are plain C, uh, those are even more weirdly bridged. Uh, that's what I mean by bridge, that there would be that it seems like some other thing that you're talking to the old thing, but you're using this completely other language that came from elsewhere that Apple didn't invent that isn't tailored to this purpose, but just been molded to it. And that I get the impression that programmers would consider that not to be native. Like there would be this dichotomy between the people saying, all right, native Objective-C applications and right. you're doing it with your little bridge language versus what I was talking about where they slowly change, slowly take their existing Objective-C language and keep adding strictures to it until you're not allowed to do the dangerous stuff anymore, you know, and then uh, maybe eventually have some, you know, slowly change the syntax, adding new directives, saying, okay, now you don't have to have .h files. Okay, now you have memory safety, but you can't do X, Y, like approach this new language by taking what you have and shaving off the sharp parts and eventually giving the new thing a new name. I felt like that would maybe in the end, the implementation wise, it would look very similar to what Mac Ruby does in terms of talking to the Objective-C runtime by writing code that's not strictly objective c uh but anyway the, the mac ruby people are still very upset that i call it a bridge and, I, and i've said many times mac ruby is the only reasonable contender i can see out there if apple was going to go with let's take a language not invented by us and use that as a new programming language and many people say you know apple's supporting mac ruby there are apple developers to contribute to it it's been getting better so on and so forth i just don't see the apple push behind that language yet maybe they're being super secret and they're just going to fool me and come out next wwc and say ha, mac ruby it's all awesome now and that's our new language it could be i just don't see it yet so the people who are very enthusiastic about mac ruby and think it's going to be the next big thing they could be right but i don't think their enthusiasm is based on substantial evidence at this point other than the fact that it's the only real contender and that it does have some apple support i mean in the past many other things have had some apple support like pi objective c has had some apple support in the past and I forget what the other bridges. Maybe did Ruby Coco have any Apple support? Anyway, lot, lots of things have had the support of Apple programmers or Apple as a company at various times and have still not actually gone anywhere. ZFS is another good example. So you never know until an announcement is made. But I did want to address the Mac Ruby people. Uh, hopefully this will keep them from yelling at me. You guys do have the best vaguely bridge-like thing that's not technically a bridge, if you want to say that, but I still think that uh, the other alternatives uh, have more support uh, behind them in terms of what Apple has actually officially announced and done. Are you still, done, are you still, would you still say you're completely uh, diametrically opposed to all bridges of all kinds? Yeah. I, I mean, the thing about Mac Ruby is if Apple decided to support it and they just shoved it through, it's not, it's not terrible. It yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't be bad, but I, what I'm not in support of is the idea that, that can come to pass without humongous Apple support that just somehow by this thing being developed in the background, kind of with these people, it's going to be the future, right? You need full Apple support for whatever the solution is going to be. And thus far, certainly Apple. I mean, I don't think Apple has ever mentioned the words Mac Ruby on a stage. No WWDC, you know, so it's so far from being the, the thing. Uh, whereas Apple has many, many times taken Objective-C and started adding stuff to it, changing the language, chopping off sharp edges, and Arc is a really big step in that direction. So I think there's much more evidence for Apple going in, in the direction of modifying Objective-C by bits and pieces than there is for it going with one of the bridges. Sure. Or non-bridges. All right. That's it for my follow-up. That's all you got, huh? Yeah. I do have other miscellaneous follow-up, but I want to get to our main topic for the day. Can you guess what that is? The 
uh, HP tablet uh, coming back and having the fire sale on it? No. Oh, that is that's a good dumb story this week, but I don't think there's anything to say about that. Hmm. No, even though you talked about it in all your other shows, I didn't get a chance to talk about it. I, don't, I want to talk about Steve Jobs. Of course. It happened while you were gone. It did. I actually came back uh, to talk about that. Yeah, you know, you talked about it with Gruber, talked about it with Marco. You're going to talk about it with me. It's you know. I would love to talk about it with you. Yeah. And especially because I, I anticipate your uh, opinion to be somewhat uh, different, maybe, from... Well, uh, those two guys did cover a lot of stuff that I wanted to say, but I have some extra stuff to add. So, you, now you should we do? Should we get? Should we do, clear out one of the sponsorships to sort of clear sure. clear the pipes a little bit? That's a good idea. See if the connection will hold up for this. <laughs> you know, we edit that stuff out, but for the people who weren't listening live, connection issues have been uh, happening. So we'll we'll just cross our fingers because as soon as as soon as we change topics for any reason. The connection drops, so we'll just uh, cross our fingers, right? Right. Audible. Audible.com, leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. And this is great uh, if you have a new baby and you want something to listen to it at 2 a.m. and the baby is awake. Uh, because if you want to listen to it, Audible has it. They've got over 85,000 titles, virtually every genre. You will find what you're looking for. And uh, you can get a free audiobook and a 14-day trial. This is how they do it. They have, they have a, a subscription service. And you sign up, and basically you, you determine what you want to consume, how much you want to get. And you, you can get it, and it's great. It's, it's not like you have to buy it. Oh, I want this book. I'm going to go buy this book. It's, it's a totally different way of thinking, and it's great. I really recommend it. They have a special URL just for listeners of this show, audiblepodcast.com slash hypercritical. You go there. You get a free book. You get a 14-day trial. I can't promise, but they may send you a teddy bear. Is that Faith? Are they still maybe not doing teddy? She says no, no teddy bears. But I may send you one. You never know. Uh, and one of the things they like to do is they say, "What are you? What are you listening to?" They want to know what we're listening to. So uh, what I have queued up here uh, is uh, at, you know apropos of the Steve Jobs topic in general. There was a, another Steve Jobs book that had come out a while ago, but the one that I have queued up, the one I'm starting is uh, it's called. I don't love this title, John. Icon Steve Jobs. I don't love this, but I, I, do, I do really think I'm going to enjoy this book. It's called The Greatest Second Act in the History of Business. We have this in the show notes. So this is what I have queued up. I haven't listened to it yet. I'm about to start listening to this one when I'm done with the, the previous one. I'm very excited about this because really it is the, the greatest second act. I'm hoping you'll, we'll talk about that. But what are, you, what are you listening to? So my pick, I actually had original pick, uh, I had a tech-related pick, but then I was persuaded to change my pick. For, for people who might not be audiobook listeners yeah. or might not be big radio guys or whatever, my pick is like a starter course in why you would ever <laughs> want to listen to audiobooks. Oh. Uh, so it, for people who are familiar with this person's work, this is kind of boring. It's like me recommending, you should go see these movies called Star Wars. They're great, you know. But if you haven't heard of Star Wars, that would be good advice. So <laughs> if you're not an NPR listener, you, uh, you may not have ever heard of David Sedaris or mm. know who he is. And if you haven't ever heard of him and have no idea who he is, I envy you because learning who David Sedaris is and what he's about is a very interesting experience. And my, my pick is one of his older books. I don't know if it was his first, but it was the first one that I ever listened to. It's called Me Talk Pretty One Day. Yeah. Uh, and this is like, I don't want to say too much about it because if you don't, 
know anything about David Sedaris, you should just get this as your free Audible book and listen to it because this is something that uh, he, he narrates this himself, right? And his books are good if you want to read them, but listening to them is way, way different. Like he's he is a radio guy and he does his own books on the radio. And when, whenever he's in town, I go see him live. This is a case where you want the author to read you their book. It is very, very different than reading it yourself. So I, I recommend not reading this book in a print version. You must get the audio version of this book. Even though this is an abridged version, you must get the audio version because hearing him, hearing him read his stuff is way different than reading it yourself. So if mm. you've never heard of this guy, just just trust me on this. Go go get Me Talk Party One Day. It's a free audible book. David Sedaris narrates it. And it's a bunch of nonfiction stories about his life, which sounds boring, but his life is anything but boring. Just... Put it in. If a long car trip is great for this, if you're going on a long car trip or anywhere, and just listen, and you will be horrified, uh, disturbed, amazed. You will cry. You will laugh. I don't know what you'll do. <laughs> I really don't know what you'll do. But if you don't know who he is, and if you do know who David Sedaris is, and you haven't listened in a long time, it's good to just pick that up. Hey, it's free, and uh, listen to it again because it's just as funny the second time around. I love David Sedaris. Uh, and I've, I've listened to uh, almost all of his stuff. I don't think I've ever actually read one of his books. I've listened to it all in audio form. Uh, he's a very interesting character. Recommend it. All right. So now, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, I, I don't know. How, how can you be listening to this show and not know this? It's not news anymore. It's already happened. Steve Jobs has, uh, has retired. He's resigned, really. Maybe he resigned he as CEO. He's resigned as CEO. He hasn't really re- I mean, but that is a retirement. And he was instantly reinstated as chairman right. of the board or whatever. Right. right. So, so you mentioned, I don't know, it was like I am or something that I hadn't said anything about it. Right. Which is true. Like I didn't, I didn't write anything about it. I didn't really tweet about it. I retweeted right. some other people's things. Didn't really tweet much about it. Now, back in the summer of 2007, I wrote something from Macworld called A Day Without Steve, hmm. which was like, in Macworld, you're very limited. At least I'm limited to how long I can write because it's, you get one page. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not like writing for ours or another online thing where, or even Macworld.com where you can go as long as you want to go. So I tried to fit into this one page article a summary of my thoughts about, you know, someday Steve is not going to be running Apple and what will that be like? Uh, and and again, this was 2007. I forget when it was in the timeline, but this this was me trying to square myself with the idea that Steve Jobs would not be running Apple forever. I think maybe this was his first medical absence, or was it? I don't even remember. But it, at some point, it was it was the point in in my life when I said, you know what, I really have to start thinking about this and make myself okay with it, and right. see, you know, and the process of making myself okay with it was like, oh, let me just think it through and write something out. And so I, I ended, I ended this thing with sort of a summary of what I thought the post Jobs Apple would be like. Uh, and I mentioned that you know this is a phrase that um, I don't think I made it up. I've heard it a million places before. With the whole idea of that, if the mantra of the Apple company without him is the idea of what would Steve do, right? So even though he's not there, have his philosophy imbue everything. So as long as everybody has that in mind, they'll be okay. And uh, I followed up by saying that, that the thing that Jobs has always wanted to do was make the best products possible. 
uh, and I have a, a paraphrase of, of a Socrates quote here. This is actually, it's a three-way Apple thing, all right? So it's an original quote from Socrates, as far as I know. And then the Mac software company, Ambrosia Software, do you remember them? Makers of course. Of Mail, Maelstrom and all sorts of other programs. Snap was, Pro X or something, I remember. Yeah, Snaps Pro, yeah, uh, tons yeah. of, they, they still make some software. Uh, and they, they, but they're most famous for their Mac shareware games back in the day. And th- this was the motto of their company, uh, this Socrates quote, word for word. So now I have modified it here in this article. Uh, and the quote is, virtue does not come from market share. Rather, from, market share, uh, ra- rather from virtue comes market share and all, all other good things. Yes, I managed to mangle the quote. <laughs> uh, the, the idea is that you don't go after the thing that's your goal. We want to be the biggest company in the world. We want to ha- you know, have a strategy that makes us the most successful maker of gadgets or whatever. Instead, you do the virtuous thing, and from the virtuous thing comes all the other goals that you wanted. So the idea is make the best product. And if you make the best product, you will become the biggest company in the world, the most successful company, the most profitable company. You will dominate your industry. You'll sell more of your thing than the other guy. You'll, you'll have a better brand recognition. All the good things that a company wants, that a CEO is in charge of, your share price will go up, all that stuff. If you try to do that stuff, I want to try to make the most profit. I want to try to sell the most widgets. I want to have the highest share price. You will fail. Don't try to you know, instead aim for the virtuous thing, which is making the best product. And if you look at what Steve has done over his entire career, that's always what he's concentrated on. He has not been chasing the ancillary rewards. He's not been chasing profits or market share or stock price. He's gotten those things by chasing the one thing that he actually cares about is making great stuff. And this this sounds like a stupid trite flaw. Like, oh, of course, you're going to make the best product. Like Everybody knows that, right? But if you look at what other companies do, and I would imagine if you were in their boardrooms listening to their discussions, they're not talking about how do we make the best product. They're talking about how do we succeed in the market? How do we defeat our competitors? So on. And, and that strategy can work. Like Microsoft is built on that strategy. Certainly, you can't say Microsoft's strategy was let's always make the best product. It was let's crush our competitors. What kind of you know innovative business model or strategy can we use to become the dominant player in the PC space? And it worked for them and they won, right? So it's not to say other strategies can't work, but it has not been what Apple has done. Apple has always said, we are going to make the best product. And sometimes that strategy has not worked for them. Mm-hmm. Like they had the best product uh, with the Mac way back when. They didn't do enough of the other things. Like it wasn't enough. They had too many demerits against them on top of that. And then, you know, Steve Jobs was kicked out in 1985. So you can't really blame him for all those dark years when Apple wasn't concentrating on that. Right. So uh, and, then, and then I finished up the thing and saying, Steve Jobs obviously will never be equaled by any other single person, but he could be actually be bettered by an entire entire organization that stays true to those ideals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to get to the bettering part in a little bit. Okay. So, so I felt like I had put that to bed within myself as far as him leaving goes, and that was what, four years ago. Now, did, let actually, me just jump back. Did you did you anticipate that this would? Uh... That the the timing of this, were you expecting this? Was this like, oh, this is going to happen any day kind of thing? Or I thought he would be gone sooner. Really? I mean, that's why I wrote this in 2007. And I was afraid with the lead time of the print magazine that I would be too late, like that this would go in and he would already be gone by the time that went up. I was like, I have to need to, was, I thought, you know, how long could he possibly stay in this? Right. You know, with the, the different health, like none of us know any of the details of the health situation. I don't really care about the details. I don't think it's anybody's business, but that also means that I, you know, I had uncertainty. I didn't know it could, could be any day now, right? 
But I thought I was just like, you know, I put it to bed. I'm like, well, when he eventually does leave, I feel like I don't need to write anything else because I already addressed this many years ago. I said what I had to say and that's it. But when he actually left, I felt I found out that I wasn't as prepared as I thought because it wasn't like, oh, yeah, I saw this coming. It's no big deal. I, I didn't feel that way at all. I felt like this is a big deal. And, and despite all my preparations that I was still kind of, I, you know, I was sad. I was disappointed. I was kind of adrift out to sea. I didn't, didn't really know what to think. I, I wrote down some notes. I'm like, maybe I will write something about it. And I wrote down a lot of notes about the issue. And I was like, well, <laughs> this sound what I'm what I have these notes on sounds more like a eulogy, but he's not he's not dead he's just left the company right and uh and i was thinking about why that was the case and I, that was another point i jotted down and then uh daniel jock had made the exact point on twitter like uh the reason everybody's acting like steve jobs died is because the aspect of him we get access to his public leadership role is gone uh n- none of us are friends with steve jobs so when he leaves his role as ceo of apple it's like he's gone for us because we don't know the other part yes he continues to live on and have a family and a life and friends and stuff like that and he continues to be chairman of the board i guess but how much how much do we have any interaction with any of the people on apple's board we don't see them know about them hear anything about them really so once steve jobs leaves as ceo it's like he's gone for us not dead but like he's gone for us which is why when i was making notes about what my feelings are about him leaving it was like a eulogy because the steve jobs that i know the Steve Jobs that any of us know, the guy who's CEO of Apple has, is gone, right? So he might, not saying he might as well be dead, but he, we, don't, we don't see him anymore. We don't get to hear him talk. We don't get to hear what he has to say. He's not in direct leadership and control of the company, although that was, you know, been true for a while since he's been on medical leave. Right. So that's why it feels like he's gone. Uh, and I was, uh, then my future notes were about like, so what was his role when he was there? And uh, you, you mentioned on previous shows, like, would you consider this too errors in the company's histories and I said yes of course and I agree and there's actually a phrase that, that I don't know who invented this phrase but it just seemed to come out of the ether when Jobs returned in 97 or whatever and I saw it I've seen it everywhere and I've always used it and I don't know who invented it but it's the Jobs 2 era Jobs Roman numeral 2 you know 2 capital I's era in the Jobs 2 era of Apple you know since the Jobs 2 era you've seen it in stories for years and years and years and it was just the natural thing that like he had the first era of jobs at Apple, he founded the company with his friend Steve Wozniak and blah, 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 made the personal computers, became rich, blah, blah, blah. But then this is the Jobs 2 era. All right, so this is the end of the Jobs 2 era. All right, and trying to think about what is what is the legacy of the Jobs 2 era? How is it different from the Jobs 1? I may still write this. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't write it because, like I said, it felt like a eulogy. So eventually someday uh, when he does pass on maybe i will write this up and and put it down but for now i'm trying to mostly just think about his what he did in his job as ceo and that's what other right. people have been talking about on the, on your other shows with marco and group like what is it that he brought to the company during this second phase of his career and what does it mean that he's gone and so on and so forth and after listening to all those shows and thinking about it myself i think the key difficulty i have in talking about this topic is that we don't know what jobs did so uh, Gruber linked this article, and the title was Ideas, Not Hierarchy, on Steve Jobs Supposedly Making All Apple Decisions. Uh, and it's at the smallwave.com by Tim, Tom Reistman. Uh, and he talks about the notion that, you know, that Steve Jobs is the personification of the company and that everything Apple does is because of him. So you, you, we're all familiar with this phenomenon. If Apple does anything, it's shorthand 
instead of saying that Apple did X, Y, and Z, we say, oh, well, Steve Jobs wants X, or Steve Jobs wants this. And the reason that's like that is because that's what Steve Jobs wants, like that he somehow makes every single decision and does every single thing the company does. And it's just a shorthand way of expressing the idea that he's a dominant personality and uh, at the company, and he's more hands-on than most other CEOs are. He's, he's willing to be involved in the details. But there's no way that one person does all this stuff, right? Uh, so it, in this article, there was an excerpt from the, the D8 conference, which I don't remember what year it was, but a couple of years ago where they were interviewing Steve Jobs on stage. And the person asked him, what do you do all day, Steve? Uh, and what he said was basically that he meets with teams of people and works on ideas and solves problems, makes products, blah, blah, blah. Like he just gave a vague answer. And uh, this was Mossberg interviewing him. He says, well, are people willing to tell you that you're wrong? He asks. And Jobs says, yeah. Uh, and he says, uh, Mossberg asked, do you win all of your arguments with your employees? And he said, no, of course not. You can't win all your arguments with your employees because you're not going to get great employees at your company if every time they come up with an idea that you disagree with, you override them because you're the boss. Mm. Right. So the idea is that, you know, he's basically saying that uh, they come to me with ideas. And yes, I'm sure he says that's good, that's bad or whatever. But when he has arguments with them, which apparently happens all the time, like his subordinate will say, oh, I think we should do X, Y and Z. And Steve will say, oh, I think we should do P, Q and R. And he doesn't just pull rank and say, well, I'm Steve Jobs and I get to do it. They have arguments and sometimes he loses. And he, he has to because if you were some super smart designer or something or, you know, Johnny Ive or anybody, you know, uh, Tim Cook or, you know, Phil Schiller. And, and every time you came up with an idea and your boss disagreed, your boss just said, well, I'm the boss and we get to do it that way. You would be disheartened. You wouldn't want to stay at this company. Like you can't have smart people. Uh, here's the direct quote from from Steve Jobs. He says, uh, Mossberg asked, do you win all the arguments? He says, no, you see, you can't. If you want to hire great people and have them stay working for you, you have to let them make a lot of decisions and you have to be, uh, he stutters here, and you have to be run by ideas, not hierarchy. The best ideas have to win. Otherwise, good people don't stay. Mm. And the best ideas, he's saying, are not necessarily my ideas, right? Now, so this is Steve Jobs himself saying, every one of these ideas was not my idea. Uh, and, and they can't be. So that's just not how you run a company. So him dispel, dispelling this myth that he does everything. Uh, now, we can kind of know what he did in general. Like we can say he came back to the company and, and broad strokes, what happened? Well, broad strokes, the first thing that happened was that he said we need fewer products. So he killed a bunch of stuff. He got rid of the, the clones, got rid of the Newton, cut their product line down to the level 4x4 four four grid or so on and so forth. Now, does that mean it was his idea to do every single one of the things? No, not necessarily. But it's clear that as soon as he came in, what his team did was simplify the product line. And since the CEO is in charge, it's not the type of move where, you know, a subordinate said, I think we should sell pizzas. And Steve Jobs said, well, I disagree, but you're the subordinate. You're real smart. So I guess we should make pizzas. These are company changing decisions to cancel the Newton, to kill cloning, to cut half your products or more than half your products down to this very simplified thing. These are big, big moves that have to have the approval of the guy in charge. So you can put right. that on Steve Jobs and say, yeah, he did this. He decided this is the path back to this company. First, get rid of all this crap, concentrate on these few things. He's the one who, you know, we don't know who came up with the idea of an iMac or anything like that, but he's the one who said, that's the thing that we're going to go with. We're going to cut everything out. You guys work on the iMac. We're going to do that. I'm going to work very closely with you on the iMac. We're going to work together on it, and that's going to be our first big, you know, comeback thing. Uh, so you can put big, broad decisions like that on top of Jobs. Like the idea is like, should we make a phone? Yes, no. Uh, <laughs> does that mean Steve Jobs came up with the idea of the iPhone, thought we should make a phone, came up with the design? No. But in the end of the day, someone 
came up with the idea to make a phone, he's the one who gave it the thumbs up or thumbs down. So it's easy to put the big decisions on him. But the thing about the thing about the Jobs 2 era is that, say, if you don't like Apple or you're anti-Apple or anti-Jobs or whatever, you're inclined to believe that Steve Jobs was the one stopping whatever it is that you wanted that you didn't get in the Jobs 2 era. So if you don't like the App Store policies, you're like, oh, it's because Steve Jobs that we have these things I don't like. If you wanted an X-Mac, you're like, well, the reason we didn't have an X-Mac, which we talked about on past shows, is a you know, configurable Mac that has only exactly what you want and nothing else and is you know, cheap enough that you can afford it and so on and so forth. The reason we don't have that is because Steve Jobs doesn't want it, right? Or uh, licensing Mac OS X for generic PC hardware. It's like, oh, we would have that if it wasn't for Steve Jobs. Like, whatever your thing is that you didn't get in, in the Jobs 2 era and you don't like Apple, you're going to say, oh, it's, it's because of Steve Jobs that we didn't get those things, right? And on the other side of the coin, if you like Apple products and quality and all that stuff, you assume that things can only get worse without him there because all the things that you like, you're going to say, well, the reason we had the thing I really like was because of Steve Jobs. The Mac OS X looked really cool. That's just because of Steve Jobs. Like, and the MacBook Air is awesome, and we wouldn't have had that without Steve Jobs. And the iPhone is awesome, and the iPod is awesome. And if it wasn't for Steve Jobs, we wouldn't have those. So there's a tendency for both sides of the pro and anti-Apple camp to just assign to Jobs all the, the, the things that they either liked or didn't like. And that can't all possibly be true. Like, all those things that the people didn't get and they say, oh, it's because of Steve Jobs you didn't get that. You don't know that that's, that's why we didn't get a thing. Like, the only thing you can say is that probably that Steve Jobs eventually gave the okay. That, you know, like, there's no, the, the App Store policies. Whoever came up with the idea of the App Store policies, maybe it was Steve, maybe it wasn't, but he gave it the thumbs up. Like, right. he said, you know, okay, we're going to go with that strategy and we're going to stick to it. Because clearly Apple's had spoken with one voice on the App Store and, you know, they modified it a little bit or whatever. But it's clear that he agreed to that. But it doesn't mean he came up with it or that even he was the biggest proponent from it. For all you know, he leaves and he was actually the one at every meeting saying, you know, these App Store policies, should we reconsider these? And one sure. of his subordinates was saying, no, 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 we got to stick with this. And he was eventually con- convinced by a smart uh, subordinate. For all you know, for example, Scott Forstall or Tim Cook were the biggest proponents of the closed app store. It wasn't Steve Jobs that was keeping you from having whatever it is that you wanted. It was one of his, the other people who works for him, and he was just convinced by them that it was the right thing to do. Uh, This is why it's so difficult to figure out what is post-Jobs Apple going to be like, because you can't know which one of these things was primarily motivated by him or which one of these things like he was actually in opposition to because Apple speaks with one voice under under Steve Jobs and the Jobs 2 era. It speaks with one voice, but that doesn't mean that in all of the debates that one voice was Steve Jobs' idea or that he was the most enthusiastic for it. Uh, and you don't need you, you don't need to look any further than like, you know, Steve Jobs flops that people have been talking about. Like it's clear that Steve Jobs loved the G4 cube, whether it was his idea or not. Right. He, when he was up there on stage, he was enthusiastic about this product. He thought it was awesome. Now, right? do you, now uh, let me just jump back a sec here, John. Do you, do you anticipate that that one voice is going to change? Do you think we might have a, the voice of Schiller and the voice of Cook? Or, or do, you think, do you think they'll somehow, or, or will we sort of lose? It's interesting. It, I just want to touch on this point for a second. Because if you, if you think about th- whether it's a press release or what, sometimes it feels like there is the voice of Apple that we hear through the press release. Then we think of Apple embodied, it is Steve Jobs. And then we have other people who can speak on Apple's behalf, whether it's the PR or whatever. Do, do you think that's going to change? Is that going to splinter? Are we going to have not different people saying different things, but uh, a few different people to think about from, from Steve 
you know, from Steve Jobs now it's passed down to these two or three or four or five people? Or will we have more of the faceless Apple, just the generic Apple PR? You know, because you can't, you can't just go and replace Steve Jobs and say, oh, this is our new CEO, therefore this is going to be the new. Or can you? Well, yeah, that, that was what I was kind of getting at with the flops, like or the hockey puck mouse, another thing which Jobs seemed to be enthusiastic about. <laughs> right. Those are the, 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 with the flops, you can kind of start to pinpoint like, all right, so when we saw this guy on stage, we were all convinced by his enthusiasm for these things, right? And when they didn't succeed in the marketplace or the market, you know, the hockey puck mouse, like they eventually changed it to an oblong one, the G4 cube got canned. That's an example where, again, we're still just speculating, but we're going to say Steve Jobs wanted this. Probably someone at Apple was like, you can't make the mouse round, dude. People can't tell which way is up. And he's like, no, trust me, people will love it. And he stuck with it as long as he could. But eventually, when they made their next mouse, someone said, Steve, come on. We did this round thing. Nobody likes it. We put a little dent in the front of the mouse so people could tell that didn't help. Can we change it? And Steve Jobs said, yeah, okay, you can change it. And the G4 Cube, it wasn't selling. The numbers guy said, I know you love this computer, Steve, but the consumers don't. And as great as you think it is, they're just not ready for it. They don't want it. We have to can it, right? And so they backslide on that, right? Now, that doesn't mean they're not speaking with, with one voice, but it does mean that that one voice that Apple had wasn't necessarily right. Now, the fear that you were talking about, I think this is a legitimate fear, is that regardless of which way Steve individually was on any of these things they care about, was he the most pro, was he the most against, was, you know, what what happened, who was the one really behind this? Despite the fact that Jobs is the one on the stage, who was the one really behind it? Legitimate fear is that nobody else at the company will have the unassailable political capital within Apple that Steve had. Like, at the end of the day, when it came time to make some hard decision, he could always say, all right, I've heard all the arguments. I've gone one way or the other, and I'm going to go with camp A or camp B. Whether that's camp A is his idea or not his idea, he can make the decision. And when he makes that decision, the sense within the company, like, it's, there's not, it's not, it's not making people angry. Like, there's not some disgruntled section of the company like, oh, I really... Like, he's got such political capital there that's like, that's what Steve wants to do. Like, Steve came down with a decision. You know, it doesn't mean that that's his thing. Like, maybe, say, Forstall is arguing for one thing and, uh, you know, Bertrand was arguing for something else and he picks Forstall, right? Or whoever, you know. When he makes that decision, that's it. Because he has that kind of political capital on Apple. He's, he's, he's Steve Jobs, right? The fear is now that even though Tim Cook is in charge, when Tim Cook makes that same call, that the people who didn't get picked feel a little bit more grumbly. Mm. Like that he doesn't have, he has tremendous political capital and people trust him and they think he's great and everything, but he's not Steve Jobs. Mm. And that that little tiny thing will make it so that perhaps Apple doesn't speak as well with one voice on the long haul. In the short term, I think, yes, they will continue to speak clearly with one voice. And probably, you know, going forward for many, many years. But if you don't have that guy who everyone believes in, even when they rule against you, even when Steve Jobs rules against you, you still can, like, get yourself right with it and continue to, to work hard for what Steve wants, right? And the reason Steve could do this, by the way, getting back to the, the hockey puck and the G4 Cube, is that when he was wrong, or when it appears that the thing that he wanted turned out not to be wrong, it's not like he stuck with it forever. It's not like he kept the G4 Cube around and kept trying to sell them when nobody wanted them. He's like, I guess, you know, he's willing to admit that he's wrong and backslide and, and you know, change things back. So they didn't feel like he was an unfair dictator, but they just they just all believed in him so much. Now, think about some of these other uh, issues that have been inside Apple. I guarantee every single one of these 
had opposing camps within Apple. Like even though we see one voice externally, the internally not the same. So cloning or no cloning, guaranteed. That, like the company was probably split 50-50, pro or against cloning. Yeah. And, you know, it was Steve Pick. Cancel the Newton or keep it. But the Newton team didn't want you to cancel it. But it's a lot of people at Apple who really like the Newton, uh, you know, and didn't want to see it go away. Uh, the, the big one that I can think of in recent memory is Linux on the iPhone or a Mac OS 10 derivative. And this was a real debate within Apple. Like, we're going to make a phone or portable thing. Like, when they did the iPod, they did that. What is that called? Pix, Pixo? Pixie? Pix something. You know, they, they outsourced the OS for the original little, you know, five gigabyte scroll wheel iPod Gen 1 thing. Like, they didn't make the OS for it. So when it came time to make a phone, there was a legitimate debate within the company. Do we, do we run Linux or some embedded OS on this phone? Or do we try to put Mac OS 10 on it? And I think Forstall was the big Mac OS X guy, uh, which is why he's in, in charge of iOS now. But there were two camps, like some, some people saying, we can't fit Mac OS X on a phone. It's ridiculous. So the thing takes you know, umpteen uh, megabytes of memory. It takes this much CPU. We see how slow it is on Macs. You want to put this on a phone? That's crazy. We have to go with <laughs> Linux. Everybody's doing embedded Linux. And the other camp was saying, no, no, you don't understand. We're building a platform. We need to own it. We need to use Mac OS X. We all know how that turned out. You know, on the phone is iOS, which is a derivative of Mac OS X. But there was a legitimate debate with Apple whether that should be done. Uh, and someone has to make the call on that. And the people who really wanted Linux on the phone, perhaps, you know, or were annoyed that the decision came down that we're going to go with Mac OS X. Like, who knows who even made that decision? I can imagine that decision was made even before it got to the level of Steve Jobs, that, you know, whoever was in charge of that thing, maybe it was Bertrand who was in charge then, said, no, we got to go with Mac OS X. And then it just got presented to Steve as this is what we're doing. Steve said, it's okay. Maybe he doesn't, you know, you never know what, what uh, part he had in that debate, right? So now in the future, without him, say he wasn't there when the iPad was made. And I guarantee there's some people inside Apple who are like, we should put a USB port on the iPad. Uh, and there were some people who said, no, we can't put a USB port on the iPad. And this is the type of decision where, from what we all know of Steve Jobs' personality, like he had to be the anti-USB port guy because he's always trying to remove stuff. He's trying to take away things. And, and again, we're personifying Apple. It's like, remember when they removed the floppy drive? Well, I bet that was Steve because he likes <laughs> simplification. And remember when the, you know, it was the cube that he seemed to love and had lots of stuff removed from it? I bet that was Steve. That's probably a safe bet, right? Uh, and when the decision came down, no USB port, right? So say the iPad didn't sell like gangbusters. Like say it started out more, more like the iPod because when the iPod first sold, it wasn't just a smash hit like the iPad was. It was a slow, slow burn that built up to this big critical mass. So say the iPad was like that. If that happens post Steve Jobs and then the, anti, uh, the pro USB port camp says, see this thing we put out there, like it's not selling that well. It's probably because it doesn't have a USB port, which is what everyone in the press has been complaining about. Hey, no USB port. Without Steve Jobs there to like have his mojo behind the no USB port decision, even if it wasn't his decision, like does the pro USB port camp become emboldened by his absence to petition harder for it to appear because the iPad isn't selling well or something? Like that's the that's the little thin edge of the wedge that could happen in the jobless future where things that just wouldn't have flown in the past that people wouldn't have even considered bringing that up again because the decision had been made and it's clear that that's what steve wanted and you know regardless of whose decision it was don't don't bring it up again that that debate is settled we just gotta let it you know let it ride out that those guys come back and start you know saying well you know maybe we should rehab let's have that debate again maybe we were wrong about the usb port and maybe it'll you know and maybe the guy in charge like tim cook says, um, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe we should try it with the USB port. That's the danger of like not speaking with one voice, not having the guts to stick with your decision 
when it's uncertain. That is, coming back to the touchpad thing with HP, it's good that HP didn't have the guts to stick for even two seconds. And Jobs has the guts to stick tremendously. Now, he's not dumb. He didn't stick with the G4 Cube when it wasn't selling at all. He didn't stick with the hockey puck mouse forever. He stuck with it for a long time. You know, he's stubborn, but he's not stupid. So there's, there's a fine line between having the courage of your convictions and being foolhardy. Uh, Apple has walked that line really well. And what we're afraid without Jobs is that because he's not there, even if people are trying to do exactly what he would do, that there'll be more, that the dissent within the organization could possibly cause the guy at the top to make different decisions than Steve would just because he doesn't feel like he has the wherewithal to, you know, to stick to his guns the way Jobs would. The same way when Jobs backslides. I bet he was completely convinced that he was right about that, too. It's like, well, it's time to can, can the G4. He was as as convinced that canning a G4 was the right thing to do. G4 cube, rather. Canning the cube was the right thing to do. He was as convinced of, of that as he was that it was the right thing to do to ship it and to begin with. Like, he, he'll turn that corner very well. I don't know if Tim Cook can do that. Uh, so, so that's what I'm thinking of with this. Will Apple have less of a unified front in the short term? I don't think so. Uh, in the long term, this is what I'm going to be watching for. For reversals made too soon or product compromises that that seem inappropriate. Now, it's really hard to pick these out because think about your cruddy MacBook that you hate. The one with the no firewire port. Do you yeah. still have that thing? Yeah, it's sitting, like, uh, sitting in another. I don't, I'm not using it right now because it just it offends me. Right. So it's like if we look at that and we say, you know, oh, well, we everyone decides that Steve Jobs is Mr. Simplification. He's the guy who kills the floppy. He's the guy who gets rid of the optical drive. And certainly he's the guy who gets rid of the firewire port. That's just his mojo. We don't even know if that again, we don't know if that was him. But that's what Apple did. They got rid of the firewire port. And they turned around on it. They said, actually, I guess that was a bad decision. Customers have told us that, you know, for the two cents that we save on having this firewire chipset, they're not ready for this port to be gone. Like, and they put it back, right? You know, the next MacBooks had the, had the firewire port back on it. Yeah. Now, going forward, you know, Thunderbolt, we all assume will eventually wipe out all other ports and it would just be Thunderbolt. But it wasn't, it wasn't time yet, right? So now say that same move happens with Jobs not there. Everyone's going to be like, oh, well, if Steve Jobs was here, they never would have done that. Or, or if Steve Jobs was here, they would have done it and stuck to it. Well, Steve Jobs was there. They did it. It was wrong. They reversed it. So how are we, it's going to be really hard to distinguish between things all that things that are happening that look like they wouldn't have happened under steve jobs every time one of those things happens I, I think we should think back to things that happened when he was there and say is this so different you know so say that tim cook apple ships all of their mac laptops with no opticals like we all assume they're going to do like right. they're all going to go macbook air right but they do, he does it too soon and people revolt and then he reverses and puts back an optical on one of them they're going to say see if steve jobs was here that never would have happened mm-hmm. well it happened it, it happened with the firewire port and he was there right like Apple with Steve Jobs was not infallible. They just made, you know, they recognized their mistakes, corrected them, and made most of the right big moves. So it'll be really difficult. We have to watch ourselves, everybody, watch ourselves in the the post-Jobs Apple from making us think that anytime something goes wrong, it's because Jobs isn't there. We should remember all the things that he did. Uh, Despite the things all I said about, will Apple be more waffly or whatever, it's going to be so hard to to be honest with ourselves about, uh, is this something the Apple under Steve Jobs would have done. And it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Like, uh, this gets me to my next point. So, like, what is the, what is the future of Apple post-Jobs? Not just, like, this year or next year or, you know, putting out the, the iPhone 5 or a new line of laptops that opticals or all the things that, you know, retina displays from Macs and retina display on an iPad. Like, this whole queue of stuff that we all have in our heads that Apple's going to do. 
It's just obvious evolutions of the, of the stuff that they have going on right now. And it's just a question of timing and details and stuff like that. Cheaper iPhones, more carriers, uh, you know, an iPhone that's legitimately 50 bucks. You know, they, all the things that we've talked about uh, in the past. Like, put that aside. The things that that we should be worried about are what's the next big move. And this was, we were worried about this even when Jobs was here. We saw the articles of saying, well, so Apple's entered the phone market. They dominated the music player market. They've done digital music sales, digital video. Like, what's their next big move? Because they made a whole bunch of big moves in the Jobs 2 era. Simplifying the product line, big company changing move. The iPod, big move. But, you know, music players. Since when does Apple make music players? They make computers, right? The phone, entering the phone market, gigantic move. The iPad, creating this market for tablets that didn't exist before. And, you know, at the post-PC era and stuff like that. Those are the big moves, I would say, that Apple has done in the Jobs 2 era. What's the next big move? What's the next thing that they do? That's the thing that we should all be watching for because all those big moves seemed crazy and ridiculous <laughs> to us. And we just kind of like trusted in Steve Jobs' Apple. Like, well, you know, he was right with the iPod, so maybe this phone thing will work. Oh, my God, he's right with the phone thing. Well, this pad thing, I don't get it. But, you know, I think a lot of us even doubted the iPad. Like when it came out, I think Gruber was saying he didn't he didn't expect it to be as amazing right. as he thought. Like, Yeah, I asked, I asked know, John if it, what he thought Steve Jobs was going to be most proud of, whether it would be the iPhone or the iPad. And, and he said the iPad. He thought the iPad. Because I, I, I don't, be, you don't you disagree with that? Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's tough to say. Like, no, you, you I think, think about think about your answer. We got to do we got to do our second sponsor. Uh, okay. it's, it's Field Notes. Uh, so this show is brought to you by Field Note Brand, made in the USA. Memo books and more. I, I was saying yesterday on the show, I never have at least two of these on the desk. I have different things. I have a handful of these. My latest one has a little the little Texas state on it because this is the county fair regional edition. But you can also go check out the American Tradesman edition. This is a limited, uh, limited release for summer. And these it comes with a carpenter pencil. How cool is that? They always send you the coolest things with these things. I love these things. These are these great little notebooks that you see all the people carrying. You've got to get these. Uh, they're available individually. You can just get one, or actually, I think you can get a pack of three. Uh, or, or you should be smart and get a yearly subscription. You'll save money, and you'll save even more money if you use this coupon. Heard it from Dan. Heard it from Dan. One word. And you'll save 25 bucks on a subscription of these things. I love these things. Now, how, what are people using if they're to, to write notes? I don't I have no idea. Field Notes brand. I'm not writing it down to remember it later. I'm writing it down to remember it now. Fieldnotesbrand.com. Do you use that these slogan, things? That slogan sounds like something that Merlin would have come up with, doesn't it? I think Jim Kudal came up with it. But it's it does It tall. does sound like a Merlinism. That's all right. It's a good slogan. It seems like the kind of thing he'd come up with and he'd, he'd just give to you because he's nice. So uh, the thing that Steve Jobs is proudest of, I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I think he's proudest of the company in general because I can't. But you know, okay, but what you can't say that that's a cop out. I mean, what, what? No, it's not a cop out because it is a cop out. I'll, I'll get. I don't know. It, it. I don't know how much of this to talk about and how much to save for an article I eventually write. But uh, when in a year? It, so the, the iPad, the revolution fomented by the iPad. I think Steve Jobs will be the proudest of. Not necessarily the specific product, but the idea that it, this has always been his idea that he wants more people to be successful with technology and the iPad even more so than the iPod the iPod made people successful with digital music but it's different than like like what he's always wanted is the things that we do with PCs accessible to more people like that's what the Mac was about that's what the GUI was about he all the things that you can do with the PC but 
let more people do them. And the iPad is such a huge leap in that direction, removing lots of stuff that prevented regular people from being able to do the stuff that we can all do with PCs. Mm. And I bet, and, and, and Gerb is probably right about that, that that idea that that was the next big ratchet in terms of allowing people to use technology without you know, being afraid or confused or whatever. And yeah, I, I, I probably think he is the proudest of that. Not so much the specific iPad product any more than the specific original Mac. He would, you know, say uh, he, he had been gone in the 90s. He would have been the proudest of the Mac because that was the first big giant leap from nobody can use computers unless you're a super nerd to now it's accessible to more people. And the iPad is the next big leap in that direction. Now, the iPhone is like, well, isn't that a leap in that direction too? Because it's you know, it's a computer. It was like a decoy computer. People didn't know it was a computer. They thought it was a phone. Really, it was this little computer. But the iPad makes that clearer and makes more of the things that you can do with the PC accessible just because the screen is bigger. So those two I would kind of combine because they really are of a piece. And as we all know, we've heard the stories about how, you know, the iPad under the guise of Safari Pad or whatever had existed long before the iPhone. And then they were going to make a phone. And this whole debate about the phone was Linux or Mac OS X. And, and it's like, we know, we've got that stuff that we messed around with with the pad, what if we just shrink that down and put it on the phone? Like the iPad actually came first, even though the product shipped later. So that I kind of put that whole iOS iPad thing, I kind of combined them into one. But but yeah, the iPad is success in the market, I think, uh is the is what he's going to be proudest of in terms of moving the uh, pushing the human race forward to quote their ad uh, uh, and making more people be successful with technology. Now I was talking about the next big moves, like those are the past big moves they made. The, what what's the next big move Apple makes? Because as a company, like Jobs may be proudest of the iPad as a product and a phenomenon in terms of making people successful with technology. But as a company, the moves that Apple has made to make Apple successful, you would have to count, like, for example, the iPod as the most significant move in the Jobs 2 era because it was the first move away from computers and it was the first thing that Apple did that proved it. We can, we can shape industries. We can, if digital music is messed up now. We can come in and we can fix it. Right. We can say, you know, don't download it illegally. You can give us money. We're going to make people successful with digital music, not just nerds downloading stuff from Napster. And they changed the entire industry. Like from a company's perspective, that showed that Apple was a mover and a shaker that could do stuff. And same thing with the phone. The phone industry was this established thing. Oh, Apple's not just going to walk in, blah, blah, blah. They had these incumbents that were huge and powerful. And they, they came in and they just shook up the whole industry. Just, you know, changed the landscape, right? So from a corporate perspective, those are the big corporate moves, right? And in that from that perspective, the iPad is like not as earth-shaking as the iPod and iPhone because the pod was making, you know, redefining music. The phone was shaking up the phone industry and the pad was kind of making a new industry where, where, you know, I don't know if you can say it's new. It's like, forget about netbooks, forget about cheap, crappy PCs. Here's this new thing. Like uh, it's significant, but it, it didn't kick out incumbents so much as, as the, uh, you know, the other two moves did. So now what's the, looking at these moves, you're like, well, did Jobs originate these ideas? Did he decide, let's make a music player? Or did someone come to him and say, I have an idea for a music player, and he immediately saw this is a great thing, right? And all these instances, did he did he come up with these ideas, or did he just approve them? Or how, how many similarly big moves were presented to him? Did someone say, we really need to get into uh, the rental car business? Right. And we're going to revolutionize the rental car business. And he said, no, we're not going to do that one. Like, we don't know <laughs> how many big ideas came through the halls of Apple. We just know the big moves that they did, right? So the next big step, we're like, you know, are people coming to Tim Cook and saying, 
we need to get into rental cars again. Or we need to get into pizza delivery. Like whatever. Like how many big ideas does he get pitched? There's, I'm sure there's lots of big ideas, right? Uh, you know, when I think, and, and that's what we're all looking for. What's the next thing Apple's going to do? iPod, iPhone, iPad. What is the? Maybe it all has to begin with i. What's the next big thing they're going to do? And the the obvious choice, the the one that's kind of always stewing around there, is like during all this stuff has has been going on. Apple's been trying to do something with TV. This was our very first show, if you remember, the, the hypercritical episode number one was yeah. about what's wrong with TV. Right. Most of the things that I said are wrong with TV are still wrong with TV. And Apple has fielded the Apple TV one, the Apple TV two. They've always said it's just a hobby. They like hedged and kind of said, you know. This is not our big move. We're, this is not our big company move. But every time in the earnings call, when some analyst asks them about the TV stuff, they're like, and Tim Cook himself has said this in many different, you know, we think there's something there. We at Apple think there's something there. So they realize that this is this frontier. They just haven't made their big move yet. They made their big move in the phone space. Like they're doing that. The TV space, they recognize is broken. And Steve Jobs himself, I talked about in the TiVo episode, is that they're not interested in making something like TiVo. They're not interested in making something like Google TV. They just don't know what they're going to do yet. The Apple TV V1 was kind of this thing, not great. Apple TV 2 came closer to the mark, but it's, it's not setting the world on fire like the iPhone is, mm-hmm. right? That's the obvious next big step is Apple makes its move in the space of video. Not necessarily TV, because as, as I think Horace pointed out and... Uh, either on his site or in some of his podcasts, the, it's the, the television space, the thing that's going to disrupt the television space is probably not going to be something that builds on the, the existing infrastructure. It's going to be something that bypasses it or makes it obsolete, kind of in the same way that Netflix is trying to, where it's not going to be like, like TiVo, where, and like the thing that I was advocating that I would still love, you know, take the existing landscape of stuff and make it easier for me to deal with. And TiVo was supposed to be doing that and has been failing in its mission for a variety of reasons. Listen to episode number one. (laughs) Apple's not interested in doing that. They just haven't figured out how to crack that nut yet, right? Because it's it's like chicken and egg thing. They can't get the content because the uh, the existing bodies have got it all locked up. And and I think as Horace pointed out, TV is the least changed of any of the infrastructure things that we have. You think about like... uh, the, the telecommunications has been much more radically changed before Apple even came along, going from landlines to cell phones, stuff like that. TV is very similar to how it was when TV was first invented, and it's also very young. Uh, this, you know, programming and the networks, and I guess cable was kind of a disruption, but it's like to get past that, to get past the chicken and the egg. People want to watch their shows, and if you're going to offer them something that doesn't offer them their shows, or if HBO is going to have its shows locked up, and the only way you can get HBO is through a cable company, how can you ever fight with that? Like, cable company gives you the set-top box. They've got all the content locked up. Yeah, you can try to be streaming and renting and stuff, but it's time-delayed, and you can't get all the shows, and people don't put up with that. So what we're doing now is kind of like augmenting. Like, regular people are, are augmenting their existing cable and stuff with these other things like oh i need to have cables so i can watch my sports shows uh but mlb is lets me watch the baseball but not the local baseball games i still need tv for that but then i also do netflix screaming streaming to watch this but i gotta get hbo because i want to see uh game of thrones without having to wait for it like it's this big mishmash of crap and apple realizes it's a mishmash of crap and they have not figured out how to crack that nut i expect that the the obvious next big thing apple can do is make their move on, in television. They haven't done it yet. Now, that doesn't mean that's going to be the thing they're going to do. If Apple has shown us anything, is that the next big thing they do is often the thing that you're not thinking of. So I don't know what the next big thing is, but this is this is the job of the, the post-Jobs 2-era Apple, the, the Tim Cook-era Apple. 
what you know not now not a year from now not two years from now but eventually if apple wants to keep going like they're going they have to make their next big move what is that next big move what industry are they going to get into and uh you know change the landscape of and if they don't keep doing that then that will be kind of like they're becoming like Microsoft. They have this string of great successes in big industries. And yeah, Apple could be a success, a huge success for years and years. The biggest company in the world for years and years just on the power of the business that it started now. So they come to dominate the phone business. They, they continue to dominate the digital music business and their products get better and better and Mac market share grows. And like, that's still a great business. But the Apple that we expect, like maybe you can't keep this up forever, but the, what we expect is every couple of years or maybe it's every couple of, you know, every decade or something that... Apple does what Apple does, which is take an existing market of technology that stinks and make it better. And everyone's got their pet peeves. Mine obviously is television, and Apple has shown some interest in that. But that's what we expect Apple to do. If Apple stops doing that, if we're 70 years old and I list off the great things that Apple did uh, you know, in the 21st century, and I still list those same ones we listed, iPod, iPhone, mm-hmm. iPad, Apple will still have been a great company but we maybe we're expecting the possible, but we expect them to continue to surprise us with with new things and to take on new markets. To, to what is that? The show Voyagers uh, travel to time to help history along, give it a push where it's needed. That's Apple. They're they're looking. They look at the landscape of stuff. They find the stuff that's crappy, and we say, you know, do, can we make that better? Can we make a better phone? Can we figure this out? Because we all hate our phones. Eventually, they said, yes, we can make a better phone. We can make phones better. Let's do that. TV so far they said it's it's not good. Can we make that better? Maybe we'll try Apple TV. It didn't quite work out. Apple TV too. Like they haven't made their move. I don't know what the next big thing is. Maybe it is pizza delivery or car rentals. Who knows? I mean, Google's doing self-driving cars. Uh, you know, stranger things have happened. But uh, that that's what I'm looking for in the in the Tim Cook era is what is the next big thing they're going to do and all, all the the little things. I'm not as worried about. Again, I'll be watching it to see if there's any USB port and an iPad type stumbles. And I'll be trying to be honest with myself about whether that is a sign of something bad or it's just something that would have happened under jobs anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's the equivalent of the FireWire port. So that's what I think I have to say about the post-jobs era. Mm -hmm. Uh, One other thing. uh, I think on Gruber's show, you asked him I don't remember how you phrased the question, but it was basically, would Steve Jobs ever come back? And Gruber said, no, this is it for him. Yeah. He's not going to, he would never come back. Yeah. Uh, I think the question was too vague for me to understand what you really meant for it. But it, I think if Steve Jobs' health miraculously became normal and he was just as healthy as an ox and was going to live for another 40 years, he would come back and be CEO of that yeah. company. Hundred percent guaranteed. Like uh, Gruber was answering, you were asking the question in the spirit of reality, and we all kind of understand that his health is probably such that that's never going to happen. But say some miracle did happen, and he becomes completely cured, healthy as an ox, strong. He's coming back and taking over. And and you're kidding. Apple would beg for him to come back. Like it's not like it would be he would come and take over. You know, if he suddenly became healthy and was ready to go for another few decades, the company would beg him to come back, and he would come back in a second. There's no way he would be alive and healthy and letting someone else run Apple. Uh, again, that's not the spirit in which you asked the question. It's not the spirit in which Gruber answered it. So I, I believe he's right in terms of he's not going to come back, assuming his health continues to stay the same or decline. But if some miracle did happen, yeah, he'd be back because you know he can't stand to, you know, 
it's it that he doesn't want to let go, but he's he's doing the responsible thing and saying, I, you know, basically saying my health is no longer up to it. So do, do, you, do you feel how how scheduled was this? John Gruber seemed to think that it was somewhat scheduled and in that uh, this wasn't a spontaneous decision. It was something that was planned, whether it was planned for weeks or months, uh, maybe. Uh, maybe there's a question, but this this was a plan. And do you feel that this was a plan, or was this something that was it's, a? It's so hard to tell without knowing details of his personal life that are nobody's business, right? So, but if you look at it from the outside, my impression is that the second indefinite medical leave was taken in the spirit that the responsible thing to do is to do this now and to make a gradual transition. And if it happens that uh, miraculously I start getting better, we didn't close the door on me coming back. But this is the beginning of a planned gradual transition process. Like, planned or not, they had a gradual transition where he, you know, he had a liver transplant and then he came back. Like, they didn't know. He could have died having a liver, liver transplant, right? And that would have been a more abrupt transition, right? But he, th- what it has turned out is that he had a series of steps where, you know, certainly the thing that, that has been planned is I think jobs having other people do more stuff at keynotes that was 100 percent planned because he said you know we've got to start preparing for this i need to uh, you know i'm going to intro stuff and then everyone else is going to come on and do their bits i'm not going to do the whole keynote myself whereas he used to do that so that was definitely planned but everything else with him leaving and coming back every time it's like we have to do this because it's the responsible thing and if it so happens that i start getting better i'll start coming back right so the indefinite leave was probably taken in the spirit that, you know, who knows, maybe I can get better, maybe I'll be back. But with the kind of pessimistic outlook is that if I don't, this is a great gradual transition. So I think it it's like a plan that you don't want to be a plan. They didn't want this to be the no. way it was. Nobody wanted it to be the way it was. And so every time they made this move, it's not like this is, we're 100% locked in, Steve's exiting the company. It was always like, you know, maybe, maybe things will get better. Maybe he'll come back. And if it doesn't, we are on the course of a nice gradual transition plan. But if he does, you know, hey, we have no qualms about canceling it out. So that's what I think. I think it's, it was undertaking a long gradual transition that actually worked out very well in terms of giving Tim Cook the company for a long period of time, getting Wall Street comfortable with him, getting all of us comfortable with, with keynotes without Steve Jobs. But at every point, it was while Apple was going through the motions, it was with the idea that, boy, we hope this isn't the transition pan that it appears to be. We hope that this is not what we're really doing. We hope things turn around, right? So that, that's that's my take on, on what it was like, that it was a gradual plan thing that nobody wanted to actually be the plan, that, that people were probably in denial, of like, oh, you know, well, maybe maybe he'll be back, and maybe, you know, that that's my take on it. Do you feel, I guess this is a silly question to ask you, do you feel pessimistic uh, or optimistic in general? now and then five years from now about what apple about just like apple well because i would say i would say it seems like you're cautiously very cautiously optimistic and and maybe it it, on the scale of optimism and pessimism uh, with with five in the middle you're like 5.001 optimistic about apple in general i'm pessimistic about Steve Jobs prospects. Mm. I've always been pessimistic about his health. Pessimist. I, I mean, that's what in 2007, like I said, I was in a big rush to write this thing about yeah. what Apple's going to be like with Steve. I've always been pessimistic about his health, which is sad. I don't, you know, that's just how I've always felt. I've always been sad about it. I don't didn't like the fact that you know 
even though I don't know him personally, like, you, you get attached to people who you don't like. It's like celebrities, I guess. You think you know the person because you, you, you know, read all about them and know all about their history or, or listen to their songs or if they're a celeb, you know, singer or whatever, but you don't know the person, right? But yeah. we all feel this kind of weird personal connection with Steve, which has no basis in fact. But that's how I feel about him. So I've been pessimistic and sad about him. Apple as a company, I definitely feel optimistic about in the short term because I, I believe in what Steve Jobs built. I think he's built something that is different than the other things that are on the landscape. Uh, for so short term, like next five years, I feel pretty optimistic about Apple. Uh, and that gets back to the idea of us not knowing what he did. Like I'm optimistic in the sense that I believe there are at least as many decisions that Steve Jobs made that were wrong as there were they were right not the overall like the big scheme of things grand scheme of things he's just been right about like almost everything right so his, his track record is great but the little things right i believe that it'll be interesting to have a fresh perspective on those little things and that there's some upside to that in the short term long term that's where i'm pushing more towards pessimistic the idea that Steve has seemed to know what the right big moves are to make, even if he didn't come up with the moves. Because look at the big moves Apple has made. I can't, it's easy to find little missteps, a product here, a port removed there, a policy here. You know, there's lots of little things, but the big moves that he has made have just all been right. And it's an amazing track record. And I'm pessimistic that an Apple without him will be able to make such big moves or will make as many. We'll be right every single time, right? It doesn't mean that the company is going to go downhill. Like even even if you make half as many correct big moves as Apple, you'll still be doing better in the competition. Because what I, what I see from the competition is either they're making no big moves or making horrible wrong ones constantly. Yeah, HP or my, you know Microsoft is like just floundering and just not doing anything interesting and the other rivals are making big moves but you're like what are they doing like, i think i think you're touching on the biggest fear for the for the anybody who's a fan of apple is you you look at where microsoft is today and you say how could this this giant and and we've said this before i think on this program i know i've said it before is that there was a time in whether it was in the 80s 90s where microsoft was so dominant not just in the corporate world they were so dominant. They were everywhere. They did everything. They defined what people did, except for the, the few few of us who had the common sense to to use a Mac. They def, they they were computers, and the idea that they would be in this kind of sort of we still are relevant, really trust me, kind of space that they're in right now, at least outside of the very corporate sector. It would it would be unthinkable. How could they how could they fall to this to this state that people just uh, don't even consider them relevant when it comes to modern thinking about computers? That's kind of the fear I think people have about Apple. They're like, well, with Steve Jobs gone, how long? It's not a question of if; it's a question of how long until Apple is in that situation. How long before they're not innovating? How long before they don't have? remarkable because look and and i'm not saying this as the apple fan uh that i am i'm saying this as as just as objective as i can possibly be look at the great stuff that they've made even over the last five years just look at the last five years forget anything before that forget anything that came before that look at the last five years of apple's history look at the great stuff they've made and look at look at the great computers that they've given us look at the iphone look at the ipad whatever pick pick one 
They've innovated in that space remarkably. And that's the fear that people have is what is going to happen in the next five years? Are they going to fall the way Microsoft has you know, fallen in it from, from, from grace? That's one of the topics I actually have for a future show is what ails Microsoft. Uh, but oh, good. I, don't, I, I can't I, wait for that one. I don't have the fear. Microsoft, I don't I have the fear that Apple is going to become a Microsoft simply because Apple's already so much better than Microsoft. Like Microsoft had one, had two, maybe two big moves. One, one main big move, which is their big move at the, at the dawning of the PCH to become the dominant player on the PC desktop. Like they, they put all the wood behind that arrow. They concentrated 100%. We were going to be the dominant player in the PC space, and they did it. They succeeded. Microsoft PC on everybody's desk. They dominated. They did it. And that is a huge victory, especially, and it seemed even huger because back then it was the dawning of this age and they were the big dominant player. So they were, they were, I don't think anyone will ever be as dominant as Microsoft was just because it was so early on and there were so few players. And, you know, that was their one biggest move. Their second big move might surprise you to hear what I think it is, but I think their second big move was Xbox. I don't think it was successful. I think they were like fighting last you know, fighting the last war, not the new war. Like they entered the console space. It was the first time it was like their iPod. Let's branch out the company in a direction that it previously had only been timid. You know, they went full force. We are going to enter the home game console space because we believe the home game console is the gateway to blah, 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 blah. And they're wrong about that. Sorry. Uh, Turned out to be mobile or maybe the (laughs) iPad, not game consoles. That was kind of a, a industry in decline. Right. You know, but but they, you can't say that they didn't commit to that. They committed to the console space, which was different than the PC desktop space. And they weren't a failure. They're a strong number one, number two kind of foot. But it's just like they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like that industry is not... The fact that they are the number one, number two, number three console maker jockeying around with Sony and Nintendo, it's like, that's great and all, but you know we're not as excited about that as we are about you know, the iPhone or the iPad or anything like that. Like you would... That was, the game console space is already being disrupted by these other things and you being a player and you're, you're just, you got there in time to be an incumbent and, and get disrupted with the rest of the incumbents. But, but they committed to it and they did a big move. It was a big company. It wasn't like, you know, Microsoft ultimate TV or, or even the Zune or anything like that. They put billions and billions and billions of dollars into Xbox and they made a very good game console, right? They were competitive. They committed to it. So that's two, you know, one big move that totally paid off and made the company that defined Microsoft and another big move that was like, you know, B, B plus, like you kind of did okay, but strategically speaking, it, it wasn't as smart as like, you know, entering the phone space and, you know, and they entered, you know, the phone space and the PDA space, but all, I wouldn't call all those big moves. They were kind of like tepid, half-hearted, strangled with the strategy tax by all their Windows stuff, you know, stuff like that. And that's why I don't think Apple's in, in danger of becoming that because they already have so many more like... Apple is defined by making big move after big move. Microsoft is defined by its one big move that it ever made. And as Gruber pointed out, like the, the MO of t- typical corporations is make your big move, become a big success, and then defend. And Apple doesn't, that's not how Apple operates. So Microsoft's fate was preordained that yeah, you made your, your big move and then you're going to defend like any company ever does. And that is the path to stagnation, right? And coming out of that was like, let's not just defend, let's try and bring a new market, let's do Xbox. But it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as successful as their other move, right? And it wasn't as big, uh, and the payoff wasn't as big, and you know, so on and so forth. So, but Apple has, has not done that. They've always been, uh, forget the past. That who cares? We got, we got to do something new. Like that's the way the company has always operated. Now it's true. The company could decide, 
could become more normal and not do that. And like, we got to figure out how to defend our existing markets and we're not going to enter any new ones and we're not going to be interesting, right? But that's not how, that's not the spirit of the company right now. And it would take a turnaround to change that. Now, let's compare it to Google, which is another one that, that I feel like is more in the Microsoft mold. Google's big thing was we're going to do web search better than other people, right? And how does Google make their money, you know, to make it off their equivalent of Windows and Office's advertising, right? I feel like that was their one big move, and yeah. that's where they get the majority of their revenue. They're not, they're not like Apple, where, you know, Apple, where does most of Apple's revenue come from? The only thing, the overriding principle is that Apple makes its money on hardware. But what hardware? You know, they're introducing new products that are eclipsing lines that have been around for 20 years. Google is not introducing a new product that it's eclipsing its ad business, right? So Google is more like Microsoft than Apple is. Uh, they should be more worried about becoming stagnant because they're defending their existing business. Apple should not be as worried about that, but that's just not how the company operates. So yeah, I'll be watching for that. That's why I'm saying what's the next big thing because I want to see Apple continue to be Apple. I don't want it to be like Microsoft or Google, but already I'd say they have done more big moves than any of those companies. The Google's credit is trying. Android is, you could say, is a big move in that direction, but they're, you know, where are they making their money? They're not selling the handsets. They're not making money off licensing the OS. They're still making their money off ads. It's their one thing. You know, Microsoft is strangled by Windows and Office and their dominance of the PC desktop. And Google just seems laser focused on the ad business. Even though they're in all these other businesses, it's like all about the ads. So, you know, I think Apple is way ahead of the game and I, I don't worry too much about them. Even if they never do another thing, they're still better than Microsoft and Google. So who are you comparing yourself to, right? <laughs> who's who's the guy who's better than Apple, who's made more big moves than Apple? Even if they never make another big move again, uh, in the grand scheme of things, you're going to say, yes, they were a better company than Microsoft and, and Google. Okay. It's a big show. Yeah, I I I don't know. I have a lot of feelings about I can tell. Apple and Steve Jobs. Your emotion ship has been fully activated for the last hour. I think it was a Star Trek reference again, wasn't it? I don't, I don't know. Oh, you know. <laughs> I would have no way of knowing that. Never seen that show. <laughs> so what's next? How do you what's follow next, how do you follow this up? This feels like a swan song. I think we could do Microsoft one next. Oh, yeah. What else? Microsoft? I yeah. got I've got more topics. That'd be a good one. Uh, I could talk more about HP. People still want to hear about Markdown. I never did talk about patents. Got so many topics. Ah, oh, good. See, you were afraid we were going to run out. Yeah, well, you know, if big dramatic things happen, suddenly you get a new supply. Yeah. And certainly a lot of big dramatic things happening this summer. So There was a theory that I think Marco proposed Actually, before, before I hit that, there, there's just a, there's sort of a footnote to this show that's unrelated, but, but you mentioned HP and made me think of it. Before we do that, I wanna, uh, I'm, I'm trying to help my, uh, my friends out over at ThoughtBot. Um, they're one of the leading Ruby on Rails development firms. They're looking to hire somebody, uh, an expert designer, specifically in your neck of the woods, John, in Boston. You should go pay them a visit, these guys. I mean, you're not, are you in Boston proper? Can we say that on the show or? You don't want to disclose. I'm not. I'm not, but yeah, I don't know if they let me visit them because, you know, I'm a pro guy. They might have like some sort of energy oh, barrier yeah. that doesn't doesn't allow too much punctuation into their yeah, shields, facilities. Shields up, I would yeah. say, if they hear you coming. You well, anyway, the, the, these guys, uh, their designers are very, they're not just a, you know, 
guys that make uh, banners or something. These guys, they lead projects. They're responsible for the user experience of the company. They, they focus on usability, visual design, and, and, they, and they do it all with HTML and CSS. And uh, they even work in the actual Rails apps alongside the developers. Uh, so they're not, they're not isolated. They're part of the team. And uh, they, they do client work. They do internal projects. They get 20% off their time to work on new projects. Uh, they're, they're really great and they enforce a 40 hour work week. Uh, the, they, they don't like people to do overtime. They like people to, to have fun. So, uh, to find out more and apply for this, you go to thoughtbot.com slash jobs slash designer and, uh, go there. If this is you, if you're in the Boston area, if you want to be in the Boston area, if you're a designer, these guys are looking for somebody awesome when they do awesome work. So hopefully I can help them out. Chad Pytel, my friend over there. Thanks, Chad. So here's here's where I was going with this, John. Is uh, Marco, I think, put uh, proposed the concept that you know how HP announces fire sale, but then they they come back and they say, "Oh, well, we're going to make more. We're making more, and we're going to keep selling them at this rate for limited time." Marco had said, "Do you think that they're just doing that because they've got inventory of this of the parts and they just want to clear everything out?" And I know you're you're very focused on supply chains and engineering and stuff what do you think what do you make of that really quick uh the inventory idea i don't like as much as the manufacturing contract idea the idea that they had contracts to for certain lengths of time or Uh. certain number of units or something and they would be uh you know uh wasting their money like the 99 dollars they get even though it's a loss it's better than zero and they have to fulfill their contracts for manufacturing or whatever but the 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 big point i would have on this thing is the idea that you can find some logical explanation for a company that we all believe has been making terrible moves, I would question that. Like, who says there has to be some reason that makes sense? Because all of us disagree with the recent moves that HP is making, so why try to come up with an explanation that we agree with for making the second run? Maybe this is just another in a long line of right. bad decisions by <laughs> HP. That's, that's one of the more convincing explanations that I heard. Don't kill yourself trying to think about inventory or, or manufacturing contracts. Maybe they're just doing another, another stupid thing, right? Uh, I only think it's interesting if they reverse course and say we're actually going to try to give this WebOS thing a go. Yeah. As far as I know, other than the stupidity of their public message, they haven't closed the door on that. They could, you know, fire their CEO in another dramatic, possibly stupid move and say, no, actually, we're changing course again. I mean, it's a, another week, another strategy for HP, the company. They mm-hmm. haven't actually sold off WebOS. They still own it. In theory, they could change their mind, but... Just, I, I get tired even thinking about what the hell HP is doing. They're just, they're screwing the pooch over there. And mm-hmm. the, the extra HP touchpad thing, I'm not really that interested in the details that they decide make it worthwhile for them to make that. Unless they decide, oh, we changed our mind, we're going to make a go WebOS again. Then I'll start paying attention again. But in the meantime, I'm still rooting for somebody else to buy up WebOS and actually do something decent with it. We should wrap this up. We should. But we will be back next week. Yep. On Fios. <laughs> yeah, you, well, you will be. That'll eliminate 20, 20% of the problem that we were having today. We'll be you back on Fios. Uh, people can go to 5x5.tv. They can listen to uh, previous episodes of this show, uh, which would be nice if they want to get caught up. You, you mentioned episode one. Not a bad place to start. Yeah. Uh, all of the other shows that we do there. Perhaps you'd like those. If you're new to 5x5, it's a, a good way to get... You know, caught up on what we're all about you can follow john syracusa at uh, on twitter at syracusa are you on the google plus i am 
Okay. So how do they find that? What's the URL? Go ahead and one four eight two three seven nine six five three two. I don't know. <laughs> Stra- oddly, I was reminded of uh, of the episode. Uh, during which Data uh, commandeers the Enterprise in order to uh, take it back so that he may actually receive the memory chip. And he does it by uh, locking people off of the bridge with an impossible code, oddly, which you just quoted back to me. It's weird. Yeah, weird. That is weird. And uh, then... Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Dan Benjamin, and we'd like to say thanks to Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash hypercritical to get that deal that we told you about. Fieldnotesbrand.com. Heard it from Dan. Those will all be in the show notes. And uh, and that's it. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back uh, live and direct next week. Emotion chip.